Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Welcome, everybody, this morning. Uh, it's a beautiful morning here in Washington, D.C., and we have on the line with us Miss Candice Quam. Uh, we're celebrating National Native American Heritage Month, the month of November. Good morning, Candice. Good morning. And where are you this morning? Hi, I'm live from Zuni Pueblo on the Zuni Pueblo Reservation. The Zuni Pueblo Reservation in New Mexico. I get yes, sir. You're about a two and a half hour drive from due west from Albuquerque. Is that mm-hmm. right? Yep, and the same distance away from Flagstaff, Arizona. Flagstaff. So you're half halfway between Flagstaff and Albuquerque. Oh yeah, the state line from Arizona is just about ten minutes away from where I am. Okay, so the Zuni. Pueblo, I, I guess Pueblo means city. Uh, the Spanish gave you all that name, you, or you took it from when the Spanish were there in the 1600s? Yeah, so when the Spanish came, we were the first Pueblo they came in contact with. So our dwellings are kind of these adobe houses, so they're all stacked on top of each other. So they call these kind of places Pueblos or villages. So we're part of the these tribes, and that's how we um, kind of classify ourselves within New Mexico of these tribes. There's 19 pueblos and 21 tribes in New Mexico. 21 tribes in New Mexico, 19 villages or cities called pueblos, and Zuni Pueblo is one of those. 19. Yes, and we're similar to each other, but we're not all the same. Similar. And how long have your people lived in New Mexico? Oh, a long time. Long before it was actually called New Mexico. So, Well, the little study I did said, Four thousand years ago, three to four thousand oh, uh, years. Oh yeah, about and before that, we our origin, our creation story. We believe we emerged from the Grand Canyon area, and we then migrated to here. And through some uh, long trials and tribulation, we ended up here in our middle place. So Grand Canyon is about how far from Zuni? Let's see. Driving wise, it'll take about three hours. Okay. And I once took a helicopter ride or the Grand Canyon and the the helicopter could take us down and we could see these caves or these dwellings and they said people used to live in these dwellings. Is that was that your people? Yeah, we there's actually a lot of tribes that have creation stories or emergent stories from the Grand Canyon. So we're one of many that came through there along with other Pueblos. Most Pueblos believe that we also came from there, too, as, also as the Havasupai and the surrounding areas, I believe. Okay. So 4,000, 3,000, 5,000 years ago, the Zuni Native Americans lived in the New Mexico Grand Canyon area long before the Spaniards or the 
Caucasians, Europeans came here in the, in these places. So you all didn't witness the Trail of Tears because you already lived there. The Trail of Tears was moving Native Americans from the East Coast out to the West. That's right. Yes. Yeah, we were here before the Spanish, and we were existing long before then. So we do have some pre-existing settlements like Chaco Canyon, Mesa Verde. Those are some of the ruins our ancestors were uh, before uh, our deities saw it fit to say, this isn't your middle place, go on to Zikon, your actual middle place. The middle place, but what I mean by that is uh, we believe there is a middle place of our spiritual universe, and this is where we are. And if you talk to the other Pueblos, that's where they believe their middle place is where they reside today. Okay, so the middle place, there's a beginning, a middle, and an end. Okay, so the middle place is here on Earth or where you live right now? Yes. Okay. So uh, I guess maybe it would help to give some brief Sunni history. So uh, before we came to be as we are now, our ancestors were in the underworlds, we believe. And our son father is our kind of our deity. He brought his two twin uh, war, war sons, our war gods, to come get us from the underworld and kind of bring us up. And unlike the other Pueblos or other tribes, I should say, when we emerge from the underworld to this fifth world is what we believe, we weren't perfect people. We had we kind of looked like more like monsters than we did people. So we had fangs, long ears, scales, tails, and just kind of, we actually were more monster looking than we actually were human. So when we came up from the underworlds, our twin war gods, they made us into their image. So they made us into their likeness. They put everything into our, into place. So we weren't perfect people. So we believe that we're always evolving. We're always changing. So from then on, we went through these trials and tribulations our ancestors did to find our middle place. So we reside here now. Okay, and so where do you end up going to after this middle place? You went from the underworld oh, to the middle place, and then you go where? Yeah, so it goes from different places. Uh, we did come through Flagstaff area through San Francisco Peaks, and there's some stories of sending out some scouts and some of them not coming back, and that's part of our history as any people. So you go up through Chaco Canyon, Mesa Verde, and we split, there was a split between all that. Uh, if you want to know more, you can always call Ashi our museum. <laughs> My brother is actually the director there, and he tells our creation, emergence story, and immigration story very well. He's one of the best people to talk to in terms of that, in my opinion. Well, uh, I, I, I talked to him yesterday about some other things, and I found him, like you, uh, very accommodating and very knowledgeable. So, Curtis, I will talk to some more. I told him I really want to get out there and visit the museum. But keep telling us his story. Yeah, sure. So we did end up with a sort of a fork in the road at certain points where we were presented with two different colored eggs. One was beautiful, gorgeous, and shiny. The other one was kind of ugly and dull. And, of course, our ancestors, where we reside today, if that's any indication how we are now, is we picked a really beautiful egg. And out of that egg came out a crow, a really black kind of, in our opinion, like, oh, it's a crow. (laughs) And the other egg came out a beautiful macaw. And the group that chose that egg went down to um, South America, to the place of everlasting sunshine. 
and we followed the crow. So we both kind of diverged paths and we, uh, that was kind of an indicator where we should go. So we followed the crow where we should go for our middle place and the other half of our people followed the macaw. And that kind of also created the trade routes to our, before the Spanish came. We had trade routes spanning from South America to the Panhandle all the way to the coast in California and up to Montana, if I remember right. So those were trade routes. And when, you, when I think of trade routes, I think of like the trade routes from our Bible and the folks were on camels and going into like the Middle East. When you had trade routes, were you all walking or did you have horses or how did you move back and forth? Uh, that's a good question. For far as I know, we did use uh, not horses. Horses came with the Spanish. We went on foot, more or less. Mm-hmm. If you talk to Curtis, <laughs> he'll okay. probably give you so much more information than I can. But uh, yeah, that's how we moved around uh, is through on foot, if I remember right. Uh, but that's how we get all of our parrot feathers and recall feathers into our regalia shells and how we use different um, materials from places that aren't native to here. In New Mexico. So you've lived 3,000, 4,000 years there. Before that, you were in the underworld, and you came out, and you followed the egg, uh, which was the crow, and you ended up where you are now in New Mexico. The story is, yeah. More or less, it's a very watered-down version. But again, if you talk to Curtis, he's more than happy to (laughs) (laughs) explain. It'll probably take more uh, longer than this interview to so one of the actually encapsulate. One of the things I got from Curtis, he sent me to the census track, and they, the census track said in uh, 2019 there were 6,176 people in the Pueblo, in the Zuni Pueblo. Uh, so it's not very, very big. And your language, though, is about 7,000 years. You have your own language. Is that correct, too? Yes, sir. And we are not related to any other language. Um, so we're a very isolate language. So there's no other language that sounds like in the world. What do you call the language? Ashway. 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 That sounds like an African term. Ashway. Okay. So Ashway is your language. There are 19 different pueblos with 21 tribes in New Mexico. And you have your own language. And there's not a whole lot of words that sort of, except in the spiritual realm, there's just some words I understand that are similar in other language. For the most part, though, is your own language. And how many people do you think that most of the people in the 6,176 people speak Oshaway? Oh, yeah. So you hear it every day. So if you just go down to the gas stations, this is the most predominant language, I would say. How many people do you think speak English? No, uh, we all speak English. It's just, uh, it's kind of duality. So if you go into someone's house, you always hear both going on at the same time. So, Okay. So it's Ashaway going on and English going on. What about Spanish? No, we Any don't. Of- I've, you know what? I didn't really hear of Spanish until I got older, until I was in high school when I started to go out, outside of the village. That's, it's not so much here. Uh, actually, in this area, it's around Gallup area and here, which is Gallup is about... 45 minutes, 30 minutes away from here. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're often referred to as the heart of Indian country. So there's actually more of Native people here than there is other races. So it's actually, I would say it's about 98% Zuni here in Zuni and other races. So it's mostly Zuni. And uh, so I if have... you go into Gallup, yeah, if you go into Gallup, it's mostly Navajo, Zuni, and other. 
So, so from what Curtis sent me to for, to get facts, he sent me to the census tract, and it says ninety eight point eight percent. Okay. In oh, your it's close. Hey. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. So in the household, is the both language, Oshawa and uh, English spoken. So getting into the home, um, how many, when you grew up, how many people were in your home, your household? Actually, when I was younger, because uh, I'm kind of like in the awkward part of our generation, in my generation, I should say. Uh, but it was just uh, my parents, my mom and dad, uh, my brother and me. But before I was born, my parents lived with my paternal grandparents, and that was a, a larger family dynamic. So, Okay. So did you, did you know your paternal grandparents? Oh, yeah. So uh, my paternal grandfather, my late paternal grandfather, passed before I was born, but uh, my late paternal grandmother, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, It's uh, I usually call them by different names. I usually call them, in, what we call them in Zuni. Mm-hmm. So I, it takes me a while to kind of translate that into English. But my late paternal grandmother, we would always gone, go down there for family dinners. We would always be around in some way. So similar to mo- most other folks. So listen, we're going to take our first break now. And I want to thank you. I'm, a, I'm really engrossed into this three to 4,000-year generation. I can only go back to 1850. 150 years, 170 years, and talk about 3,000, 4,000 years is phenomenal to me. Uh, so we're going to come back. I'm going to talk more about your growing up and your family life and what kind of games did you play and what schools did you go to and all of that. And then we're going to get over into the co-op that you all you helped to form. And in that co-op, you all do artistics work and we'll give you give people the information of how you can go buy your Christmas gifts at their cooperative welcome back everybody this is Vernon Oaks and the program is everything cooperative and we have Miss Candice Kwam on the line with us today and we are talking about her growing up in New Mexico in the Zuni Pueblo of New Mexico, which is two and a half hours due west of Albuquerque. And the Zuni Native Americans have been there for three to 4,000 years. They have a language of 7,000 years old. And it's just a phenomenal history to look at uh, people that have been here so long. It's awesome. And I really enjoy talking to her. So we're going to get more to talk about her family. And right before we took the break, she said she grew up in their, in their household. It was her mother, father, and her brother, Curtis, in their household. And before that, they lived, her parents lived with her paternal grandparents. Candace, last week, I had a gentleman on named Emery Campbell who grew up on the St. Helena Islands. Well, he grew up in Hilton Head. And this was an island that they couldn't leave from because it was water. It took them four hours to, uh, to take an 18 minute, 18 mile ride on the boat. So this was a African American centric, African centric uh, community. And he said that he had 40 first cousins. And so it's big, big, big family. So given that you are 98.8% Zuni, is this in, in the Pueblo, is this mostly of these 6,000 people? Are these mostly family members in the Pueblo? 
Oh, yeah, mostly family members. Uh, actually, I'm part of one of the bigger families, the Quam family. There's a lot of us. If you toss a rock, you'll probably hit a Quam. <laughs> <laughs> so the Quam is a large family within Zuni Pueblo of 6,176 people in the 2019 census. So, um, okay, we won't throw any rocks because we don't want to hit, hit your family, but the, I grew up in West Virginia throwing rocks. <laughs> Okay, where did you go to school? Um, actually born and raised here. So from Head Start to high school, I went to all the Zuni education here, all the public public school, I should say. From from Head Start to high school. Yes. So it's, I was in Zuni all that time. You were in Zuni. So is there any difference between the education of Zuni? The big question for me is, did they teach the Zuni history? Oh yeah. So there was Zuni language in the public school. There is Zuni language, Zuni art, because that is a part, a big part of our culture, and it's all incorporated into the education. Oh, fantastic! Because growing up in again in West Virginia in schools, Black history was not taught. African American history was not taught in the history books and so ever. So at least you got grounded in your culture in your schools, and that's phenomenal. They taught you the language, so 98.8% of the people that live there are Zuni, and you said they you all speak the language. Ashua. Yeah. Okay. Oh, actually, I should correct you. Uh, Ashua is how we, uh, what we call ourselves. So every Pueblo, every tribe has uh, their own name for themselves. So Ashua is what we call ourselves. The actual language itself is Shiwitma. How you say that The again? coffee has Shiwitma. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so I had to correct myself on that. The coffee didn't kick in until just now. So, <laughs> Good. so uh, head start all the way through. What about college? Did did you go to college? And if so, where did you go? And what did you major in? Oh, sure. Uh, so after high school, I wanted to just branch out a bit, but my brother was taking a religious position uh, when I was going out to college, so I wanted to be a drive, at least a day's drive away. So I could come home quickly whenever they needed me. Mm -hmm. So I went to Las Cruces, uh, down south of New Mexico, to New Mexico State University, so NMSU. And I majored in, when I first went into, I majored in biology, then I switched over to cultural anthropology. I have some minors that are, uh, and I minored in Native American studies and biochemistry. Biochemistry. Started yeah, in biology, weird. culture anthropology, Native American, and biochemistry. Is that what you said? Biochemistry? Yeah, biochemistry. Interesting. I majored in math and chemistry. I had a dual major at a historically black college. But I noted on this census track, bachelor's degrees, so high school degrees in Zuni, 77% of the population has a high school degree, but only 4.6% have a master's degree. I mean, a bachelor's degree. So it's going to college. It's a lot of folk, uh, they see 5% of 6,000 is 300. So you only have about 300 people with a bachelor's degree in Zuni. So is that people are going to college now or they weren't going to college before? Or how big is that now? I think there's a lot of people who, if they went to college and then kind of took a break, they're in the process of going back into college right now as they're uh, more mature and financially stable, then there's the people who went to college and finished 
throughout, and there's also people who go to college later in life. So I think it's kind of a continuation of that. So and I always say I'll probably go to school sometime later. Okay. <laughs> I kind of I I, I kind of went too hard when I went to bachelor when when I went for my bachelor's, meaning I I took too many classes at one time <laughs> for so many for all the time I went to college. So that was kind that's my personality then. Well, we have something in the same. I took between 18 and 21 credit hours each semester. Um, oh, yeah, that was me. Yeah. <laughs> Mid-semester, I always questioned my sanity. So, <laughs> <laughs> Okay. All right. How was it like growing up as a kid? Were you all happy in this family of four in this household? What kind of chores did you have? What kind of games did you play? What was, what was life like in the Zuni Pueblo as a child? Oh, it was very interesting, and it was before the Internet age, so everything was pre-Internet, which I feel is a very special moment in time for me. So it was where we kind of knew of the Internet, like probably in high school, and but most of it was just like go outside and play, come back before the streetlights turn on. Oh, we had the same room. <laughs> Oh, yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> like, you better be home before the streetlights come on. And it was more so get outside. But I think I had a somewhat unique experience in that existence is my parents are artists. Not, that's not a unique experience. Most people's parents are artists. But we were, uh, my parents are show artists, meaning they travel around to various places and going to art shows. So that's my unique, and being as young as I was, I always went with them. So I grew up going to the art show circuits and seeing all sorts of different things and meeting all sorts of different people. So that was interesting. Also, the fact of being Zuni, there's a religious calendar, so you get to experience everything that goes on in the year. You said in Zuni, there's a religious calendar. Yeah, so the religious doings, it just depends what time of the year so I have that, that religious ceremonies you celebrate when one is born and, and one dies. You got the two ends of this life structure, birth and death. You celebrate that. And then you celebrate coming of age, both boys and girls coming of age. And you celebrate marriage. I assume there's a lot of other celebrations in Europe, but those were the four that I heard in the little research that I did. Oh, yeah, for the individual families, there's those events. There's also our winter solstice ceremony, the when the coming of the religious New Year. Then there's our night dances. There's our summer dances. There's a lot, a lot of things that go on during the year. I like the dancing part. Okay, <laughs> have it in common in cultures also, dance, music, art, uh, and I. Let's talk about ch- uh, kivas, churches. Did you all go to, ch- I guess, in these religious ceremonies, was it done within the kivas and within the churches? Uh, that's an interesting point. We have six kivas, one for each direction. And you have what now, six, six? Six. Six for each direction. So six kivas per direction. So there's the north, south, east, and west, of course, the four cardinal. And there's also, we have one for the sky realm and the underworld. So we always pay that homage to where we came from, and there, there's that. So in terms of these, it's kind of difficult to explain if you don't know anything about it. But uh, the kivas here are mainly for the men. There are some women who go into it, but that's a more complicated situation to explain. Mm-hmm. But it's mostly for the men, and we women are kind of like their backbone, and we support them in whatever they do. So if they're having a dance, or let's say for night dances, if they're dancing 
and your menfolk are participating, all the women will show up and they'll bring food for when they're dancing and we kind of act as that backbone of support for them. So growing up, very happy, get outside, make sure you come in before the, the, the street light comes on, very, very similar kinds of things. And you all have lived in New Mexico, your, your Zuni Pueblo, for three to 4,000 years. And your parents were artists. You didn't major in art, but you all helped to start the um, artist cooperative. You helped to start that. So we're going to take our second break. I really want to come back and talk about the artist cooperative. And I'd like for you to tell people how they could buy their Christmas gifts and get real Native American art from anywhere in the world with this Internet that wasn't around until you were in high school. Uh, I was in. I was out of college. <laughs> we had a little bit different age here before the internet came in. Uh, I really like your religious calendar and how much religion intertwines in everything that the Zuni folk do. But we'll be right back and we'll talk more. I really want to get into this cooperative world. We'll be right back. Please don't touch that dial. News Talk Station. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks, and we have Miss Candice Quam um, talking to us this morning about the Zuni Nation and her growing up in Zuni Pueblo in New Mexico. And this program is brought to you by the National Cooperative Bank. They've been our partner for eight years now. We've been on the air. And NCB's mission is to support and be an advocate for Americans' cooperatives and their members, especially in low-income communities. And according to the census, the Zuni Pueblo is a low-income community, uh, so maybe NCB could get in there and support them by providing innovative financial and related services. So, Candace, some of the work says that the success of the Zuni people throughout these three, 4,000 years where you're in a desert in New Mexico, you have agriculture, and you became successful because you had careful management, you had conservation of resources, you had irrigation, as well as a complex system of community support. So I really want to ask you, what is this community support? What's this complex system of community support in your Pueblo of 6,176 people? Uh, sure. So just going off the baseline uh, as individual, uh, there's, of course, blood ties. Uh, you'll always help out your family. Then there's clan ties. So if you're of the same clan, um, I, I myself am folded armed people, which is a Navajo clan. I'm half Navajo and half Zuni. So um of my uh, native blood. But uh, my other clan, uh, the Golden Eagle clan, that's part of a bigger clan. So. And if one of the clans are hosting something, you're obligated to help them. And also craze ties. Uh, if somebody has, let's see, this is kind of, how can I sim- <laughs> say this really quickly? Uh, but uh, clans are handed through the mother. So if the mother has, her main clan is the eagle clan, then she'll pass it on to her child. When the father gives his clan to their child, his is kind of like the the small clan. So and that small clan will always help them out. So in my case, since I'm a 
I have a small eagle clan. Uh, my whoever has a bigger clan, um, let's say a woman has her main clan is eagle. I look at her as my auntie, and she looks looks at me as her child. So that kind of creates that ties too. So even if we're not blood related, there's always that kind of tie there. That's kind of starting off the individual. As the Kiva system, there's also that. So if you belong to one, if your family member belongs to the Kiva system, you also support them too. So if the Kiva is hosting an event like a night dance, if they're hosting a night dance, we're obligated to help them in that way and whatever way they need help. And that goes deeper into positions. If man is holding a religious position, uh, their family will help. And also whoever adopted family also help. Like, Godfather, Godmother, they'll help along with that too. So there's all these different ties that you can pull into it as well. So it kind of goes really deep and it's, I'm trying to figure out a way to <laughs> describe uh, a color that no one's seen before <laughs> or not familiar with, I should say. So, and growing up in West Virginia, it was my father's home. My paternal grandparents lived in the same house with us. And so most of our family members were from my father's side of the family. My mother, they met in World War II from New York, and her family was in New York and Washington, D.C., and he is in West Virginia. And so there was a tie there, but it was mainly social, if you will, to come together for, for birthdays or Christmas or different, different holidays, religious holidays. And, but what about ties economic ties did you all sort of support each other if somebody was building a house or buying a house or starting a business how did that work oh yeah so just to use an example there's during our winter solstice ceremony we erect these houses to hold all the ceremonial stuff so it'll be a big house and everybody the family the kiva whoever is involved to help build the house, be it monetary, actually helping building the house or providing food for the workers. There's always something going on. So there's always that need for extra support during that year. And that's when it's all hands on deck that entire year or however long that person is going to host that particular religious activity. There's always all hands on deck for that year. So for that particular family and whoever's supporting. So what happens to the house after the ceremony? It depends on the family. Either it'll become an actual living house or it'll become a house used for something else. It just depends on the family themselves. But these are pretty big houses. That if it's starting off from scratch, it'll either be, since we do have tend to have bigger families, I also have a lot of fresh cousins myself. So I kind of understand that part. So okay. there's always somebody who can move into that house. Okay, so th- this is community, this support system that's, that's built into every aspect of the Zuni life. So I call that um, you all live cooperatively long before you started a co-op that and it is working for community, working for each other. It is uh, what does Candace do to help her first cousins or people in the Kivas or in the clan and what do they do to help you? That just seems to be natural in the Zuni life. Is I have that right? Is that what happens there? Yeah, so it feels weirder to do things alone. It's kind of, I don't think it's possible to do things here alone, actually. So you always need help. And I don't think we could get anywhere doing things by ourselves. And you, it's kind of like a 
one heart, one mind, we all move together to get somewhere and to get things accomplished. One heart, one mind. Do you mind if I quote you on that one? Uh, Sure. One heart, one mind. It feels weird to do things on your own. Yeah, that's interesting. And so this is through the ages. This isn't something new. You, This is the, the heart of, from what I gather, the Zuni. What has caused you all to be successful through the ages is this one heart, one mind working together. Yeah, so I think the only thing, the only time I wasn't about that is when I was a teenager. <laughs> when you're going through that teenager belly, like, I want to do my own thing. I want to do what is best for me type thing. But <laughs> as I got older, it's like, no, this is, this is the way. This is the way that feels natural to me feels natural okay so how did this cooperative that you all have arts a-r-t-z ancestral rich treasure of zuni cooperative how did that come about i mean you already have this foundation of community helping communities working together solving community problems which is all of what co-ops are so how did you all get into forming this legal business Sure. Uh, I should probably provide some context to so that. Is Zuni is very uh, heavy in artistic talent, as much as we are into like cultural value. So we've always had this kind of innate artistic talent. Just to give some, or uh, just some information, mm-hmm. is I'm an artist. My parents are artists. Their parents were artists, and so on and so forth. So actually, there's a lot of artists here. If you toss us, if you toss another pebble, you'll either hit a qualm or artist or a qualm who is also an artist so <laughs> it's probably either either or and it's always been that way and in the 80s 80s or 70s i believe is when there is not a lot of uh there was a lot of layoffs in terms of jobs but we had all this artistic talent so people who were just out of the workforce were trying to find a way to make a living so they went into art so that was kind of a secondary thing and that's what my parents did too. So this led to a boom of art and more artwork. And at the same time, there was a group of uh, outsiders that came through our village at selling baskets and blankets and so on and so forth. But we didn't have the actual monetary gain to buy these things. So we would say like, Hey, I'll, I'll give you this bracelet. I'll give you this bracelet for these blankets and baskets because we'll use those for our for yeah exactly and we'll use those for our cultural ceremony and what have you and that happened for a while until these outsiders kind of saw the market value in it like hey i'll buy this and i'll sell it to the outsiders to the mainstream and that created this kind of golden eras of for the artists and for the customer because this led to this really big interest in native american art especially zuni art and that's how we got our name into silversmithing jewelry pottery and carving that's what where zuni is most known for and that's how that happened and this was bringing a lot of money into the village is actually whitney had to my knowledge the first chance of the american dream where we could get a house we could provide for our family we could actually buy a car we could actually buy these things that we couldn't before even with a job so this was really great it was even actually an individual who was trained in the medical field and they passed up the chance to be a doctor and actually went into art instead because that was paying more and if you ask anyone from that generation like oh yeah that was a great time we could buy anything that we wanted to and we it was a great time to be Zuni and it was a great time to be a Zuni artist because there was a lot of uh, 
wealth to be gained during that time. But unfortunately, during that time is when these outsiders kind of took advantage of them being the sole provider of these arts to the outside world, and they could dictate our market. So a piece of jewelry that could barely be sold to a buyer, a wholesale buyer, let's say their retail value is 200, and a fair price to sell to this wholesale buyer is 100. The buyer could just easily say, like, I'll buy it for 60. Mm-hmm. I'll buy it for 60, and I want 20 of this, 20 more of this design by the end of the month, by end of the week, I should say. And if you can't do that, well, too bad, because I have five other people who can do it, do this just as well as you can. And this created this really hostile environment of uh, competition. So this collab, it kind of really took a damper of the collaborative and sharing of knowledge part of our culture. Uh, it just really took a downturn in terms of that because us as artists, we have to start hoarding our techniques, hoarding all these designs that we have. And it does create some feuds if somebody steals your designs, like, oh, how dare you? This is how I make my money. How dare you take this design and technique away from me? And it can create a big factor in the family. And it's happened before. So unfortunately, and, and it also creates this unhealthy kind of hostility among us. So, and that's been happening for since the 80s, 70s, uh, up till now. Even now, if a, to make things really awkward among us Sunni artists, if you go up to their booth during a show and you look at something and you ask them how you made it, like, and they'll, they'll give you the most vague answers, even me, myself, before this cooperative. If you ask me how to do something, how do you paint a butterfly? Uh, and I'll just kind of look around like, uh, you paint it. Good. <laughs> I'll, just, I'll just tell you to Google it. I'll tell you to YouTube it, but I won't tell you anything more beyond that. And that's only because I have to make my money too. I have to put food on my table as well. So I can't afford for more competition than there already is because there is a lot of artists here. So unfortunately, that was created. And that's kind of how it's always been up till now. In 2019, there is another organization um, called SUNY Art Walk, and that is a tourist-based program which uh, anyone can go into an artist studio and see all the behind scenes. So they can see artwork be created from very raw material to the very to the very end. So they could see all that and they can get to talk to the artist and really experience how artwork is made. So they were there. And they were in a meeting with a, or steering meeting, I should say, with another cooperative development organization called Cooperative Callus of New Mexico. Or cooperative, cooperative what of New Mexico? A cooperative Catalyst of New Mexico. Catalyst, okay. Yeah. So they met with the Art Walk and they started brainstorming ideas of what kind of businesses were needed here in Zuni. And they're popping off these sort of different ideas. Um, tourist space ideas, farming ideas. But what really resonated in that meeting, that initial meeting was, wouldn't it be nice if we had a gallery, if we had a space where we as Zuni artists could talk for ourselves. We don't need a middleman. We want we, to talk for we ourselves. We need to stop we, right there. And we need to stop right there. I'm so sorry. We'll come right back. I was so interested in what you're saying. I forgot we have to take our break now. But we'll come back and talk about forming of this, this uh, artist cooperative. We'll be right back. Please don't touch that down. Information is power. And this is why the National Cooperative Bank sponsors this program, so we can give you information about cooperatives. 
So you can either start your own cooperative or you can search out a cooperative to buy goods and services from. And right now we are talking to Candace Quam about the cooperative that they form with the help of the Cooperative Catalyst of New Mexico. And I'll just, the, the cooperative is called Zuna Pueblo Art. Well, if you want to go look at what they sell, this art, go look at Zuni, Z-U-N-I, Pueblo, P-U-E-B-L-O, art, A-R-T, dot com. And you can go to their webpage and you can buy your Christmas gifts there. Zuni Pueblo Art dot com. Or any time of the year, for whatever reason, birthdays, celebrations, marriages, whatever. Okay. So what you were telling us about is there was a community support with the Zunis that has helped you all throughout the ages, 3,000, 4,000 years. You got into the 70s, 80s of competitions and hoarding information and not helping. And then Zuni Art Walk sort of combined with the Cooperative Catalyst of New Mexico to form this cooperative. That's the story you were telling. Can you go ahead and complete that story? Sure, uh, no problem. During the initial meeting, when we said we wanted a gallery, a place to house our own artwork and speak for ourselves and sell this artwork ourselves so we can cut out the middleman, so we can really voice our stories, voice how we sell, and really speak up for ourselves as artists, give ourselves a fair market value too, and to price our artwork appropriately, and not only that, and just make a more respectable place for us. Because before then, there would be these wholesalers that would come down in their cars, and it doesn't matter if it's 100 degrees outside or freezing cold. There's always a line of artists for these wholesalers, and we wanted a more respectable place to sell. And if even with the artists who don't want to go to art shows, who don't like going to art shows, who don't like talking to customers, we wanted to provide a place for them to sell too. Whether you're an emerging artist or a veteran in the game, we wanted you to have a fair platform for you to sell. And also to share cultural value, too. Not uh, all of our kind of designs are different imagery. We wanted to share the importance of that, like we share the symbology of it all. So it's not just lost in kind of the ether, just as something pretty to look at. It's something that actually means something. And we wanted to educate both our customers and our own artists and community as well. We wanted to do that. Uh, that was kind of, the, it would be nice if we had a place like that. And Cooperative Catalyst said, like, it doesn't have to be, would it be nice? It can be reality. Hmm. If we work together, we can do this together. We can make this happen. And like, oh, really, we can. So like, that's cool. Why don't we do that? And during that meeting, they picked up the board of arts or ancestral rich treasures of Zuni cooperative that was decided off the bat. And it's really interesting how some of our board members are recruited or the steering committee is what I should say. Uh, there is an artist, our treasurer, in fact, she's an artist too. All of our board are artists. She got lured into that meeting by <laughs> like, oh, I didn't eat that day. So, and I heard they were having food at this meeting. So I went over, <laughs> I went over to this meeting. Like, I just wanted to get a hot dog and I ended up being on the board. <laughs> uh, I really like your story, but that's how she got on. Anyhow, that's how that initial meeting started in February of 2019. And uh, we started looking around for a gallery to be on and, in Zuni, if you haven't been here before, there's one main road that goes in and out of the village. You can't get lost unless you're getting 
to somebody's house, there's no way you can get lost <laughs> on this main road. You can, there's just one road, one way in, one way out. So with that in mind, there, right off the main road, there's a gallery space that originally was the post office, post office, then turned into a gallery. So it had all these gallery displays and all we had to do was move in. And we were very fortunate that the owner of that building is Zuni too. So we went up to the, the landlord and asked if it was for rent and if we could get into that space. And she looked at the group like, I really want a Zuni in this place. I really want to be a Zuni-owned business. But I have these other competition. I have a coffee shop uh, owner and a kind of a gym owner who wants to come into this place. But they're not Zuni, and I really want a Zuni person to come in here. Like, okay, like if you get in your papers right now, or if you get in your papers really soon, I'll put you in the space. Like, no questions asked. So we kind of ran back to CCNM, our cooperative cows. Like, hey, we have this space. We need to get all our papers in order, like right now, yesterday, preferably. So okay. instead of saying like, no, you have to go through the proper process, like, uh, just economic value, all the different market research and so on. They weren't so strict on the timeline, like, okay, let's go, let's do this. And our incorporation papers with the state, we had our tax papers, everything we could need as a cooperative done in a couple months, which is really crazy. So question, <laughs> how many how many members do you have? How many members are in the ancestral rich treasures of Zuni cooperative? Currently we have 33. So you have 33 members. So these members are the artists, and they are the owners. So this is a sort of like a worker cooperative. It's a producer cooperative. It's a producer cooperative. Producer, uh, I also call them marketing cooperatives. So you all produce the product, and then you sell it at the gallery, right? Yes, we do. So you produce the product. It's a producer cooperative. 33 members own it, 33 producers. And you can go, again, anybody out there, to Zuni Pueblo Art, Z-U-N-I-P-U-E-B-L-O-A-R-T.com. Hit shop, and you can go in and shop. So what's the kind of art that they can get? I'm looking at it. It's beautiful. But tell tell That's, people out there. Sure, no problem. Uh, we have the more known thing, the more art forms that Zuni is known for. We have pottery, we have uh, silversmithing, we have jewelry, we have carvings, sculptings, we have paintings, we have merchandise like wristbands, we have uh, face masks too that we did in-house, t-shirts, mugs, greeting cards. Uh, certain times of the, the month we do have our Zuni indigenous snacks that we do sell there too uh see what else can we do i think that's it but yeah we have everything that zuni is known for and more so i'm looking on your webpage. i hit shop and then i hit jewelry and uh i see a petite point earrings by roxanne oh yeah roxanne siatua yeah so um roxanne siatua Okay, it's twenty dollars, but it's out of stock. So we'll go to Sir, the Sterling Silver Stud Earrings by Pam, Pamela Zazulu. Uh, Lassalu. Okay, <laughs> for fifteen dollars, <laughs> it's beautiful. Yeah, and that's a traditional form of uh, silversmithing too. Petty point. It's where these really small stones, extremely small stones, get housed in these silver 
silver housing. So it's very intricate and it makes my eyes hurt thinking about working with it. But they're very talented. So I get a sterling silver necklace by Charlotte and Eldridge. You have to say the last name for me. Siatua. And I see that they somehow related to Roxanne Siatua. Oh, yeah. Uh, she's related to El- Eldred. They're, let's see. They're related. I know they're related. That's also a big family. Yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to get after me and say that I, I, I said they're brothers and sister. I'm pretty sure they're cousins or brothers. But this sterling silver necklace is $300 and it is beautiful. Yeah, it's a bargain too. They're actually the heavyweights in silversmithing here too. I have an inlaid silver ring by Chris Shachua. Oh, close. Chachu. Okay. $135. A silver ring with turquoise by Chris also for $90. I got, uh, if anything, your prices are kind of low compared to what I'm used to spending, but these are absolutely beautiful jewelry. Yeah, and that's what that's kind of the cause and effect of the wholesaler market too. That's kind of really tanked our pricing. So this is actually more the higher value of pricing as it goes for here, because people are so accustomed to these kind of really bottom dollar prices that we have to kind of figure a way how to not hike up the price but make it more respectable for the artist. Reasonable is what I should say. A producer cooperative where you guys are using the art of generations and um, you now have control over your lifehood, over your livelihood, over your financial wealth, your well-being, and you're not dependent on a middleman that can just keep keeping your prices going lower. You use example, if it retailed for $200, the wholesale would be 100 and that's giving them a... 100% markup or 50% margin, but they would try to get it for 60 or lower and then keep pushing it down. And it created the competition between family members, the Zuni, Co-op, Zuni Pueblo, and that's against your history. That's against yeah. your history. So that was a, it's still kind of prevalent to this day. So it's really awful to see this really beautiful artwork being sold at bottom dollar um, but we have no choice if a person has known art all their life how can they apply for another job so they just Candace, have to eat it I'm sorry we've got to go I love this artwork I'll be buying some things there everybody out there please go to ZuniPuebloArt.com buy your Christmas gifts it is beautiful work and these artists are doing great things and I look forward to coming out and visiting you listen everybody out there we'll see you next Thursday uh, in this week please live cooperatively